Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Good morning, church. I trust that you are all doing well and staying safe in this uh, uncertain time that we're all going through uh, together, but separately, unfortunately. Um, I know uh, my family misses you guys tons, uh, and we're really looking forward to the day that we can uh, be back together. Um, It's an uncertain time. Uh, but we trust our future to a certain God. And that's part of what I want to talk about this morning to you, um, is that this desire for certainty or desire for assurance or desire for validation is nothing new. Uh, It goes all the way back to the very beginning. It goes all the way back to uh, the time of the patriarchs, to the time of the prophets, to the time of the disciples uh, and throughout the church age, this desire for assurance this desire for uh, the knowledge that everything's going to turn out okay. Uh, We have a lot of people in our world. uh, Maybe you are one of them. Uh, I know I am one of them from time to time uh, that that wonders how everything is going to be, wonders how everything is going to turn out, whether everything is going to be okay, and just what God is trying to do in these situations. Well, this morning, um, I would like to read out of Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read a story uh, in which John the Baptist, the forerunner, uh, the Elijah who was to come, the greatest born of a woman in the words of Christ, had some questions. He was in jail, had some uncertainty, was not sure how things were going to turn out, uh, and sent his disciples to talk to Jesus. Uh, to get some validation. Um, So if you open your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, uh, reading verses 2 through 15. I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. These are the words of our Lord, our God, and our Redeemer. Now when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, Go, report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. 
Let anyone who has ears listen. Those of you who are parents um, or maybe have you know, young nieces or nephews can, can relate to what I'm about to share with you. But uh, my youngest son, who's 10 years old, um, he gets so excited uh, and carried away sometimes. Uh, but it doesn't really matter the situation, whether something's going good, whether something's going bad, whether it's been fast paced, slow paced, uh, he's done something wrong or everything's going as it seems. He will, for no real reason, come up to me and just say, Dad, you love me? And I always answer, of course I love you, Derek. Why wouldn't I love you? God gave you to me. You're my son. And I love you. He likes to hear that. He likes to be assured. He likes that familiarity. And this is a little bit about what John the Baptist is going through here in this passage. He, he's sending his messengers, his disciples, those who have tended to him in jail to, to go see Jesus to answer some questions for John. Now, some people think that John himself was a zealot uh, and that he believed that the Christ was going to come and he was going to set up a physical, literal, political rule right then and there, kick out the Romans and reestablish the kingdom of God on earth at that time. Now, we know on the other side of the cross that that's not what Jesus came to do. And Jesus himself, even during this time, was saying that's not what I'm here to do. Some people believe that John the Baptist believed this and was unsure because of what was happening. Some believe that John the Baptist uh, was a little miffed that Jesus hasn't, hadn't come to visit him in jail. I mean, they were, they were related, after all, uh, through their mothers. Others believe that John was seeking assurances for his followers. His followers had followed him all the way to this point where John is in jail for insulting and offending the king and his court. And he's going to eventually be beheaded as a result of this. And for someone who was proclaiming that the Christ was coming, that the Messiah was coming, that the kingdom of God was here, as he preached and as Jesus preached. The idea that that would not be coming politically and it would not be coming to rescue John was perhaps hard to swallow. And we don't know for sure what the reason was, but we do know that these questions are asked of Jesus to seek assurance for someone. And we know what that feels like because regardless of um, of who this was for, the circumstances were not playing out in the way that they thought. We know that. A lot of us are sitting at home right now. Uh, no one really anticipated that something this sweeping and this broad and this bad was going to happen. Nobody expected that. We were all caught off guard by it. I don't think there's anybody who thought that this was going to be the way things were playing out in April of 2020. But that's not the only expectation that sometimes we have in life. We have expectations that our life will be materially bountiful and prosperous, that God will give us all kinds of things because we follow him and we trust him. We have expectations that our new life, that our life will be free from sickness or from injury. We have expectations that our life will be free from sorrow or grief. When these things happen, we're usually caught off guard by them. We are surprised. How could these things happen? I wasn't ready for this. And we ask God 
questions in that time, just like John the Baptist asked here. I'm here to tell you today that God can handle our questions. He's big enough for that. As long as our questions move towards increasing our faith in him. Now, God will answer our questions, but he doesn't always answer in the way that we that we think he should. We see throughout scripture that God sometimes does answer directly. God told Abraham about what was going to happen to Sodom and to Gomorrah. God told um, Habakkuk what was going to be happening. Habakkuk asked questions. Why, Lord? God said, look, this is what I'm going to do. This is why I'm right to do that. Sometimes God does not answer directly. He did not answer Elijah directly. He did not answer John the Baptist directly in this instance. Sometimes, in the case of Job, God doesn't answer at all. He gives a response, but it has nothing to do with the reason that these things are happening. We do know here in this instance, though, that Jesus is going to tie John the Baptist and Elijah together for other reasons. Notice in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 18, this is where God is uh, talking to Elijah, and Elijah has experienced this great victory for God. This is the story right after what's happened at Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal and everybody who, uh, who was worshiping Baal, and uh, they were trying to pull him down to call down fire from heaven, and Elijah called down fire from heaven from God and established a great victory. Now, after this victory, all the people of Israel will come back and they will worship the God of Israel, right? That's not what happened. Jezebel instead saw what happened, was told by Ahab all the things that Elijah had done, and Jezebel in verse 2 of 1 Kings 19 sends a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do me, do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And Elijah flees and he hides in a cave and he mopes and he sulks and he asks questions of God. God comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? In verse nine. And Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek to take my life, to take it away. And God calls Elijah out uh, through an earthquake, through the wind, through a fire, and then a still small voice. And Elijah complains again. And the Lord does not tell him, it's going to be okay, Elijah. He says to go and anoint Hazael king over Syria and Jehu king over Israel and Elisha, prophet, in your place. I will leave 7,000 in Israel, God says, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Those are the words that God gives to Elijah, and they're similar to the words that Jesus gives to John the Baptist here. He does not say, I am the Messiah, yes, no. He doesn't give the closed-ended answer to a closed-ended question. What he says is, is for his disciples to go and tell John what they are seeing Jesus doing, that the blind are receiving their sight, that the lame are walking, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. 
John doesn't get an answer to his question. We don't always get the answer to our question. We have questions. We have circumstances. We have things that we, that we don't know or understand. But God doesn't always answer in the way we want. This is because he's God, and we are not. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what is going to happen, and he knows what he is doing. If God answered the way we wanted God to answer all the time, who would be God exactly? The other reason is that God is patient, and he lets things play out for his maximum glory and for the maximum good of those who love him. It's Romans 8, 28. God sometimes, sometimes will give us a straight answer. In my experience, it's not often that I get a straight answer from God, but I do get an answer. I get the answer from God that God always gives, regardless of whether he is giving a straight answer, an indirect answer, or really no answer at all. And that answer, that response that God gives, is always one that brings the person back to the point. Elijah is reminded of this. He's reminded that he's not the only one. It doesn't all depend on him. God is still doing things. God is not surprised that Israel did not come back to him after the incident at Mount Carmel. God is not surprised that Jezebel is seeking to kill Elijah. God is not surprised that John the Baptist is in jail and about to be beheaded. It did not slip past his notice. Jesus takes this opportunity to remind John that his life has not been wasted. And his answer to this child of God's question is one that directs him back to what he is doing. Jesus points John and his followers back to the scriptures and what they say about who Messiah is. The question John asked was, are you the one who is to come? Are you Messiah? Or are we looking for another? Jesus goes back to scripture and says, tell him the things that you are seeing. And these things that Jesus mentioned, that the dead would live, that the lepers would be cleansed, that the deaf would hear, that the blind would see, and that the lame would leap, are straight out of the prophets, detailing what Messiah would do when he came. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 you can look that up, um, gives a list of these miracles, the things that God would do when he came to rescue his people. Preaching the gospel of the poor was another part of this. Jesus himself, when he opened the scroll at Nazareth, when he was rejected, he read from Isaiah chapter 61. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty for the captive and to declare the year of favor from the Lord. Preaching the gospel to the poor is a sign that Messiah is here. Not only does Jesus assure John the Baptist in this situation, yes, these things are coming. He assures John, he assures the, the people that John sent to come to him that yes, in fact, the Messiah is moving. The Messiah is working. He also takes this opportunity to address the people that are around him because they hear this conversation and they may realize that, hey, if even John the Baptist questions, can we question? Can we know whether this is Messiah? Are we, if we are not as mighty as John the Baptist, not as reputable and not as uh, loving God as John the Baptist is, can we make it? 
And so Jesus turns to them and he extols John. He assures the others about John. And the way that he does this, he declares, who did you go to see in the desert? Was it a reed swaying in the wind? Was it someone who was going to be bent back and forth by everything? Is it someone who's going to be bent out of shape at the slightest? Oh, no. Was it someone who was dressed in soft clothing like a royal? Or was it someone who was hardened by the realities of life? It was a prophet, and it was more than a prophet, Jesus says. Verse 11, truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. So John the Baptist is the standard for what men should live like, apparently, prior to Christ coming. And so this goes back to the idea that uh, John might have a character flaw or he might have a weakness. Jesus is saying that this is the way it's going to be. And someone like John the Baptist can have a question about that, but I will assure him and I will assure you as well. This also gives honor to whom honor is due. John the Baptist, no one born of a woman greater than him. The words of Christ. And yet, Jesus pivots into the gospel because he says the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. You see, Jesus is going to use all of these instances uh, and many others through scripture to preach the gospel. You have questions? Jesus will turn it into a gospel conversation. He won't shut you down. He won't say, yes, that's it. Now, turn or burn. He will say you need to repent and believe in the gospel, but he will explain what the kingdom of God looks like. He will explain what the gospel is. And in this instance, he talks about how this was promised. Messiah would do these things. I'm doing these things. Blessed is someone who's not offended by what I do. It doesn't look like what you think it's going to do. Don't get caught up on that. Messiah is here. I assure you that Messiah has come and that everything is working the way that it ought to work. I assure you that just because someone as great as John the Baptist has these questions does not mean that he somehow doesn't get it or he somehow is doubting to the point that I can't work with that. I can answer his questions, and I will answer your questions. And then I will tell you about the gospel. It says the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violence, violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. John is the end of the prophets, according to Jesus. He is, he is it. The Old Testament prophets are done. Now Jesus has come. And is illuminating everything that they have said. He is bringing peace instead of violence. He is bringing the reconciliation together instead of the violence that came from the law and from the prophets in this whole time. If you're willing to accept it, he said, John is the Elijah that was prophesied about in Malachi who was to come. And then Jesus says, let anyone who has ears listen. Whoever is capable of hearing this and understanding this, let him understand. When we speak the gospel to people, when the, the gospel is proclaimed, it is for those who have ears to hear. 
We pray everyone has ears. But those who have ears to listen should listen and can listen. The gospel, in this case and every other case, and I think this is what Jesus is talking about, when he's holding us in these situations, the gospel is still the mission. When things aren't going quite right, Jesus holds us that we might continue in the mission that is the gospel. God uses all kinds of situations, great situations, terrible situations, getting thrown in jail, getting sick, whether it's with COVID-19 or something else, being rich, being poor, being healthy, being famous, being anonymous. God uses situations, all kinds, to bring about the opportunity for the gospel to be preached and to be driven forward for his maximum glory and for our maximum good. So how do we apply this? That's the question that we have today. As an unbeliever, if there's anybody who has not given their life to Christ that might be watching or listening to this word today, you may have questions. I submit to you God is big enough for your questions. He wants your faith. He can answer your questions. He wants your faith. Is this Jesus the one who said, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Messiah has come. Is he who he said he is? We'd love to talk to you about that if you do not believe that. And if you have questions, God is big enough to answer them. And we can talk to you about the gospel. For those of you that have received Christ as a Christian, you may have questions. I tell you too, God is big enough for your questions. He is bigger than your questions. He is bigger than your circumstances. And God will use both to grow your faith in him. He will hold you in your circumstances, whether you are delivered from them or whether you are delivered to the throne above. He will hold you in whatever you face. And he will give you assurance that things are going to be okay, that he is still at work. As a Christian, question three here, am I taking my questions to God for assurance? Or am I using them to fuel doubt? It is possible to doubt as a Christian. I don't think Doubt, when it leads to unbelief, is necessarily a good thing, but questions are fine. Our faith is not unreasonable. Our faith is not fully blind. We are convinced of what we know and what we believe to be true because of what we've been taught and because of the way that God has worked in our lives. And he will work in our lives, regardless of the circumstances. So when we have hard circumstances, when we have difficult questions, are we bringing those to God? Am I bringing those to God in a way that's going to further anchor my faith? Or am I allowing them to percolate and, and poke holes in what I believe that my faith might not be anchored, but shipwrecked instead? 
And finally, am I looking for what God is doing despite my circumstances? And am I giving praise to him for it? This is the thrust of what Jesus is talking about. John has questions that go straight to, this doesn't look like what I'm, what I'm expecting, Jesus. Are you the one who's coming? Or do we expect another to show up? And Jesus assures him and says, you got it right. I'd like to think that John praised God and was able to tell his followers to praise God in this instance for this revelation that Christ gave him. Because Jesus does give him, though not directly, a very clear answer. I am. And I know where you are, John. Don't be offended because it doesn't look the way you think it should. Trust me. Do we trust God in our circumstances? Do we see the things that he is doing through our circumstances and in the world around us? Can we see the way that people are relating to each other differently because of this pandemic? Or are we hung up on why uh, does this pandemic not allow us to go out all of the time? Can we see what God is doing in this time? Can we see what God is doing in our heartache, in our personal lives that may have nothing to do with the pandemic that's going on right now? Maybe something else altogether. And can we give God praise for that? Because he is indeed sovereign over everything, good and bad. So Christian, today, if you have questions, ask them of God. Don't be anxious for anything. Everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you can make your request known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding is yours. He'll give it to you. It's a promise Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, who was going through some tough stuff. So be encouraged today. We're going to have a song of response here that reminds us that God never lets go. I encourage you to, to sing along with Renee and to give God your burdens, give God your cares, and give God your questions. Ask him to open your eyes to what he's doing in the world around you. Thanks so much, Renee, for leading us in worship today. Uh, I hope you were blessed by her, uh, her singing, and were able to worship God uh, corporately, even from afar. Let's pray. Father, thank you for never letting go of us. Thank you for holding us and for keeping us uh, in your care, uh, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of whether things are good or bad, uh, up or down, rich or poor, sick or healthy, uh, free or imprisoned or anything, uh, that you are in control and that as your children, as your followers, you uh, control our destiny. You are in charge of our outcome and you will finish the work that you started in each one of your children that placed faith in you, Lord. We ask that um, as we have questions, things that we maybe don't understand, uh, places that you've put us in, that we can bring those to you, not uh, accusing that you're doing some wrong, Lord, but that we just want to understand. We want to see what you are doing. We want to be assured that you are at work in our lives and in the world around us, that we might give you praise and give you glory. 
Help us to have those ears to hear and those eyes to see uh, everything that you're doing through this pandemic, through um, all of the political and economic turmoil that's coming out of this, for uh, all of the people that are getting restless in their homes and are starting to want to come back, for those places even in our country that are going to be starting to, to reopen and try to go back to uh, something resembling normal soon, Lord. I pray that you would help us to, to see what you are doing and to see that you have not forgotten, even if maybe we aren't in that situation. If we here in Maryland are, are under stay home for much longer uh, or much shorter, Lord, that you are at work, that you are do some, doing something mighty, and that we might give you praise and that we might trust uh, in the assurance that you give us that you will never let us go. You will never forget us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. And we ask these things in his name and for your glory. Amen. Now, church, uh, I'm going to finish here with giving you a brief benediction, uh, and, and I hope this blesses you in some way. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Be blessed this week. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.